Hey, hello Zion, it's great to be with you. I can't tell you how honored and excited I am to share this word with you today. Uh, thank you, Justin, to you and your leadership team for this invitation. It was great being with you in Africa a few years ago and also together at the Pastor's Prayer Summit. Uh, please give my, my love and my regards to your parents as well. We are so grateful to have them in this region. Listen, I want to share with you something called, just a simple message called, When Mercy Meets a Scandal. When Mercy Meets a Scandal. So Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you give us your word to lead us and guide us and to show us the enormous love that you have for people and that you have for us. May it change us into uh, men and women who are more like Jesus. So join me, folks, right now in Psalm 51, the book of Psalms 51. I'm going to begin reading, and I'm reading from the NIV version. For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Verse 1 says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, Blot out my transgressions, wash away my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 7 says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed hide, rejoice, and Hide your face, Lord, from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Jump down to verse 12. He says there, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will teach, uh, forgive me, sinners will turn back to you. You know, it has been said that we are all just one decision away from a scandal. And there's different kinds of scandals in my mind. You know, sometimes there are scandals that are coming there's sometimes scandals we are in and sometimes there are scandals that we have experienced in our lives. And given the right situation, given the right uh, circumstances, the right people, the right timing, me being or you being in the right emotional mental state, we're capable of anything. Doesn't matter if you're the Carl Lentz's of this world or the Bill Hybels of this world or even the John Gray's of this world, uh, you know, we're all very, very vulnerable. You could be a small town girl, you know, getting pregnant and then everybody knows. You could be a guy home on spring break and everybody finds out and somehow your reputation is never, never the same. People have a long memory when it comes to what we do wrong and sometimes a really short memory when we mess up. You know, and in churches like ours, we have people all over the spectrum. We have people all along the spectrum. Either, again, they've experienced something in the past, they're experiencing something in the present, 
or something is coming that will one day rock their reputation and rock their sense of wholeness and rock our sense of connectedness with God. And David is crying out. This is what has happened to him. See, all around us, there are people who are seriously wrestling with their past. But the question that nobody seems to be asking when it comes to the, uh, you know, the breakdowns we experience and we face in our lives, the question that no one seems to be asking is, where is God in all of this? Where does God um, live or go or what is he doing when all of this happens? How does he respond when we struggle to recover from our failures, from the kinds of things that we would do over, we would love to have a do over? Well, I think that Psalm 51 gives us a glimpse into how God responds. He responds in a way that as crazy as it seems, David knew that he could still go to God after murder, after adultery, after conspiracy, after uh, 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 abusing his power. Crazy stuff he did. He, he knew this about God. He could still go back to God. So listen, check this out. You got to know the backstory. We know that one day while all of David's troops, because not only was he the king, he was the captain of the army, but all of his troops were out to war and he was at the palace basically by himself with a few guards. And as he was walking on his roof, he sees a beautiful woman, a married woman, a woman named, you know her, Bathsheba. We know that he sins for her. He sleeps with her. He uses his power to manipulate her. She goes back and soon she discovers that she's pregnant and she knows that it's not her husband's because her husband was on the battlefield, the very battlefield that David decided not to, you know, be on that day. David has her husband killed. He, he, can, he creates a, a conspiracy and has uh, Uriah, her husband, killed. He then marries Bathsheba and goes along really as nothing happened. It's at this point that God sends Nathan, the prophet, a prophet, someone who's a voice piece for God to confront David with a story. He tells him a quick story about a man who killed uh, uh, someone else's sheep, even though he had his own. And David is awakened in that moment to God, two things, to the fact that God saw everything that he had done and he was displeased, but also to the fact that the God of heaven would forgive him. He forgave him instantly. As soon as David said, I am that same man who took what didn't belong to him. And so here he is now though. So he's forgiven. Okay. But sometimes we get this picture of God that he is like, you know, uh, the kibosh who's going to, 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 to destroy us, to decimate us when we've done what is, is wrong or when we've crossed the line. See, that's not who God is. Just, this is a simple message to reawaken us or to awaken some of us to who God is. 
He was, he was even in that instant so gracious and so merciful. See, outwardly, we think we are going to have extreme consequences, and there are consequences, but inwardly, God wants to restore us. The first thing David does to open the door to his desperate need for the inward restoration, the inward sense of, of being in God's uh, relationship, in relationship with, with him, he says, have mercy on me, O God. In, in essence, he's saying, here's what I need, God, for what I did. So it's interesting how David phrased his ask, because that's the first thing he does. See, listen, the first thing we do is we make the ask. He asked for what he needed, and then he told God what he did. He said, have mercy on me, and then blot out my transgressions. It's almost as if he compliments God first. You know, he compliments God first before he then begins to unpack how he needs this inward rest restoration. You know, when I was a kid, I'm the youngest of four kids. I have three older brothers. I'm the only girl. And so I knew how to work my dad. I knew how to go to daddy, especially when I needed to ask him for something that he had, whether it was the car or a hundred dollars, but he being a good, good father, I knew that I, uh, I could appeal to his goodness. And that's exactly what David was doing. So we get a glimpse of what in the midst of his breakdown, David still knows about God. He hasn't forgotten that God's mercy is inexhaustible, unfailing, unquenchable, and folks, it is unstoppable. Lamentation says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never, ever come to an end. You know, I wish I had known this when I was uh, growing up because my story is at five years old, I tried to commit suicide. I can't explain to you why I tried it, but I do know having a sense in the midst of the knife being at my wrists that the presence of God just came into that room. I was home alone. Five years old suicide attempt. Then four years later, I was drinking alcohol. There was a sense of a hunger and a thirst in me for something that I didn't even know it was. I'm drinking alcohol. By 16, I was looking for love in all the wrong places and all the wrong dangerous places. Oh, along the way, I, I became a shoplifter. But, but check this out. I was functional. I was an AB student. I was a, a musician. I had outwardly everything going on. By 19, though, all of these things, the alcohol, the shoplifting, hit rock bottom. You know, we have levels of bottom. I hit rock bottom at 19. And I came and stood over a bridge full circle, again, wanting to commit suicide when the Lord actually sent uh, a friend my way. And to, the, to this day, we don't know how she got there. I don't, she doesn't remember me calling her, but she showed up and she said, Marlinda, the things that God has for you are better than the things in the world. That was God's hand of mercy, even though there was the, these scandalous kinds of things going on. See, mercy and grace are closely connected. God is gracious, but his mercy and grace are so closely connected. It's been said that grace is receiving what you don't deserve. That grace, yeah, grace is an undeserved gift. By grace, we are saved through faith. That not of ourselves, it's a gift of God. 
I also like to think of grace. We know that uh, God's riches at Christ's expense, that acronym, but I like to think of it as God's resources, abundant and available to change everything. Do you know that no matter where you have been, no matter what you've done, when we turn back to God, the consequences may be challenging, but what he wants to do is impart mercy to you. He wants you to have an understanding about mercy. What mercy is, is when we don't get what we do deserve. Mercy is when we don't get what justice calls for. Mercy is a pardoning of sin, a pardoning of wrong. It's what happens when a convicted criminal falls, come on y'all, falls on the mercy of the court and the full punishment she deserves is withheld by the court. Let me ask you a question. Are you waiting for God to drop the kibosh on you? Are you waiting for the other shoe to drop from God on you? Was there something in your life right now that you've, you're working in repentance, turning back to God? You've, you've let it go, but it still haunts you with guilt and shame? Well, listen, David knew it. Today, God wants to free up your future. That's why he said, uh, restore the joy of my salvation. He wants to free up your future. He wants you to be unbound. He wants you to be unshackled. He wants you to be delivered past personal uh, issues. So many of us are fearful of tomorrow. When we experience the mercy of God, though, we have uh, a different trajectory because we know that God, not only has he forgiven us, but as David says, he cleanses us, he washes us. When we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to deliver us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, the second thing that I love about this story that David ha uh, teaches us is that God sends others into our lives to help us along this way of his mercy. When, when the mercy of God comes and addresses us. He says here that um, when, when Nathan came to him and Nathan told him that story, that God created that encounter because it's, a rela it's our relationships that are key to our rest restoration. So understand that God uses relationships in the mercy building process. Uh, forgive me for this little quip, but he uses relationships as restorationships. He uses certain people who have his guidance, his heart for our return to emotional and spiritual wholeness. God uses relationships uh, to restore us. So when the prophet David spoke, David listened. David accepted that correction from uh, his accountability person, the accountability person in his life. See, confrontation comes before restoration. Confrontation comes whether it's the Holy Spirit confronting us in our prayer closet, whether it's a physical, real person, but everybody needs a Nathan. Everybody needs Nathan. Sometimes we think that when we go through a failure or a rough patch in life, oh, that to share it 
is to is to uh, uh, damage or permanently uh, humble ourselves in such a way. But we but when we isolate ourselves, listen, we insulate ourselves. And sometimes we don't resist the urge to control the narrative in our lives. And when we do like David did, he didn't, he, he actually, I should say, resisted the urge to control the narrative in his life. Um, when we read here in the very beginning of this chapter, for the director of music, a Psalm of David. So what that means is David wrote this Psalm his confession, his crying out to God, he gave it to the music director, his, his MD, so to speak. We, have, we had a music director named Clay Bogan at our church for a season. It would be like me, uh, maybe, maybe a John uh, 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 Gray or a Carl Lentz taking their story and giving it to one of the music direct, directors at Hillsong or where they are, and we can even get to, to Clay and say, here, put music to this because I want the whole church to sing my story. <laughs> Come on. I love this. I love that David did, he resisted the, the urge to try to control his narrative because he, he wanted to be accountable. The scandals of men and women and in our lives or scandals, things that are, are brewing inside of us or that already ha have happened. When we allow the relationships, whether it's one-on-one -on -one or the community in a, in a healthy way, in a small group of trusted friends to be a part of our journey to return, God uses that in powerful ways. I love what the scripture says that uh, when we confess our sins one to another, we will be healed because that confession ties into prayer and it says the prayer of a righteous man avails much with the Lord. So in a crisis or in the wake of a failure, you know, we don't think straight. We don't, we, we, we're not sure. And, and with that accountability comes guidance. We need people to help us think straight. We need people to help us see straight. That, you know, I love, that's why, that's why Nathan told David a story. He had to get around his defenses because David had already built up a wall that he had passed on and moved on. And Nathan, through that story, brought, brought him back. I can hear some of you saying right now, Marlinda, check it out. Uh, you know, ain't nothing like this going on in my life. And trust me, nothing like this ever will. Well, trust me. We don't know, again, the right circumstances, the right situation. We are capable of anything. So I say that to say this. The best time to build a, re a restorationship or relationships of accountability is now even before something happens. Because David had already made himself accountable to Nathan. And Nathan had the relationship with him that he could confront David at the, the most uh, desperate, spiritual, moral time in his life. Question. Who are you accountable to? Who in your life knows your secrets? Who knows what goes on under the hood, so to speak? Because listen, we're going to fail. We're going to fall. Somebody's going to hurt us. Somebody's going to react and you're going to do something stupid. Trust me, I have been there. And you will need someone who knows you to pick you up. 
That's part of the way God brings mercy. And so some of us have insulated ourselves and isolated ourselves, and we're not able to tap into the mercy of God. I want to encourage you, make yourself accountable to a mature, trusted follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, that is. So understand that God uses relationships as restorationships. He uses certain people in our lives as vehicles for our return to emotional and spiritual wholeness. I love uh, the, what happened to me many years ago. I, I took um, a piece of property or received a piece of property from a friend. And in the process of that, uh, I had really nothing else going on in my life and I made that somewhat of an idol. And to the, to the point where I shut out my husband and didn't want his advice about it. I was a lot younger in the Lord back then. Okay, so don't judge me. Long story short, it created a wedge in our relationship. And David confronted me, excuse me, my husband David confronted me because during that time of shutting him out, I had also shut God out because God was telling me, let David in. John Ortberg in a time of loneliness says, he developed relationships with a few friends before whom he, uh, he determined he would have no secrets. He says, I began keeping a moral inventory of my life. He said my own, he began keeping a moral inventory, a moral inventory of his own history of sin and redemption, not just his fall, but how faithful God was in restoring him. He says he sat down with some friends and said, I want to read you a list of the stuff of which I'm most embarrassed and ashamed. Uh, that actually, he says, led him to experiencing a deeper level of connectedness, of intimacy, of love, and of grace. And all of that had been missing from his life. He says, it's been hugely helpful. He says, don't run from confrontation, run towards it. That's how you run towards confrontation. That's how you set yourself up for restoration. That is how, by creating those kinds of relationships in your lives, and you know, a lot of times we say, well, we ain't got nobody like that in our lives. Find someone in your church who's trustworthy and ask them to refer you out. To, sometimes, you know, I have to pay a friend. In other words, I will get a counselor and go to that counselor for a season. Now, so David learned those two, those two lessons. And the last thing David teaches us from his crazy uh, encounter with sin is that when, we, when God gives mercy, he gives pardon, but he also gives power. He gives the power to change, to be a witness to others, to, to, to tell them about God. That's why he says in verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. And so in other words, he's saying, when you restore Lord to me, the joy of, of salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me, I will then be able to sustain others. So he gives us pardon, but folks, he also gives us power, the power to live again, the power to uh, in, invest even in other people's lives. Because we've got all, we all have people depending on us. 
Someone once wrote this, our bodies and our souls live so close together that they catch each other's diseases. Our bodies and our souls, what we go through physically affects us emotionally and spiritually. And so feel, you know, feeling physically and emotionally weak because of our past. We, we, we live there, some of us, but when we receive the pardon from God, we also get power in God. We will receive the power to live. I think about Jesus and I think how he was the man of mercy. I think about all of the times in the gospels when he was approached, when the blind beggar, homeless man came and called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He received mercy. Uh, he received sight, the power of God. I think about when in Jesus' walk as the man of mercy, a military man came to him for, for the healing of his son. And Jesus said to, uh, to him after the man had prayed, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. Jesus healed him with a word. And the word is what Jesus uses to heal you today. His word. I, I, I think about when a Canaanite woman from the vicinity where Jesus was, tra was traveling at that time came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon possessed and suffering terribly. In other words, Lord, she's saying, I'm standing here in proxy for my daughter who needs to be delivered. So Mercy isn't just that sense of restoration with our relationship with God. There's actual power to heal, to deliver, to get rid of the, the guilt and the shame. And as we ask for mercy, as we set ourselves up in the kind of relationships that will pour into us the, the grace and the mercy and the accountability of God that will call us out on our stuff, that will be those, those individuals who know our secrets. God uses his mercy to bring us restoration. I wanna pray for you, and I want you to ask yourself some questions. As you go along this week, number one, do you expect God and his goodness not to reign over your life even after you have returned to him? If that's your expectation, let's call that a lie. Number two, when uh, we have relationships in our lives, God uses those as restorationships. Who are your accountability people? Because he will use those to make you healthy, to restore your joy, to bring you into places of maturity that you will never hopefully fall the way you've fallen again. And third, lean into the power of God. Cry out, just like all of those folks did in the Gospels. They cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the power of God, and be specific, healing, deliverance, restoration. God will hear those, prayer, those prayers. Let me pray with you right now. And um, let's ask God together. I know I need his mercy in my life. And I'm trusting that this message has helped some of us find at least a handle
for moving forward inwardly so that God can be glorified outwardly in our lives. So Jesus, God, we're just so grateful for who you are. We're grateful for your word. I'm thankful, Lord God, that you take... Uh, it's the spirit of God that takes the word of God and transforms us into the sons and daughters of God. So Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters at Zion and I ask that you would uh, flood their understanding of you and the, the great mercy, the great compassion. You are a God of compassion. You are a God of restoration. May they, may that become so real in each and every one of their lives that they walk free. They walk joyful. They walk in power. They are then able also, Lord God, to be your hands, your feet, your eyes in the world, especially in that area where they are, Lord God. We need you to work in our lives in this way. And so, Father, it's not bootstrap uh, theology. This is not bootstrap preaching where we got to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, but it's leaning by faith into what you provide. We are pardoned. We are free. We are, we are uh, empowered, Lord God, to uh, walk in joy and to live the life of a Christ follower. So thank you. Thank you, Lord. Hey, it's been great being with you. Uh, hopefully I get a chance to come and, and physically be with you sometime. I'll be praying for you. Please keep us in prayer as well as we all try to lift up the name of Jesus high. God bless.